We're back to being an all country. We're back to being a country. The British Dream Podcast. Join us. Powerful people. As we launch our despicable acts like these. And the sickening and barbaric politics. What I hate about this is that it's so violent. When the next phase of this disaster comes, they will come for you. Hello and welcome to The British Dream, Vice's monthly politics podcast. What a giddy, glorious joy it is to be back in Weatherspoons with you once more. My name is Simon Childs, Home Affairs Editor at Vice.com. And today I'm joined by Vice's Henry Langston, Sheeran Kale and Sam Chris. On March the 29th, 2019, the United Kingdom will leave the EU. Try to calm down. We will always regret this and you will regret it quite soon. And behave like an adult. With summer coming to an end and Westminster politics wearing back into gear, We'll soon get some more Westminster fodder for the podcast. But for now, we're focusing on the trivial things, like the end of the world. On the podcast today, where are we at with this impending nuclear apocalypse? Listen out for an interview with Nuclear Run, a cheery chap helping the world prepare for the end, like the actual end. And yeah, Brexit is back, baby, but who's going to win? Billy Big Ball's Brexit or our dear, dear friend, democracy? Roll on the shit show sandwich. So it probably seemed like a good idea at the time, right? We need to reach out to younger voters. If Corbyn can do it, why can't we? Well, yeah, but no. The Tory answer to Corbyn net mania, Activate, fell flat on its face after just a couple of weeks. So, Sam, what happened with Activate, that Tory youth thing? Like, the Tories are kind of uh, scrambling at the moment, you know, because, like, um, like, one incredibly startling fact is that in the 1983 election, the Tories won among 18 to 24-year-olds. You know, culturally, there's this kind of strong feeling that all the young people hated Thatcher, they all hated the Tories. But actually, a lot of them didn't. Like, there's kind of um, age disparity in, in uh, political affiliation that we have right now is, is kind of unprecedented. I mean, like, you know, the current millennial generation is, I think, like the, the most left-wing since people started counting. And then the Tory attempt to kind of win things back was um, some young conservatives with a Twitter account yeah. fighting each other weirdly well, with bad I mean, memes. I mean, they, they, like they know what young people like, but I think they've made the same mistake that uh, a lot of, you know, advertising people and magazines and youth brands make, which is thinking that the same things that young people like are the things that they want. People are going to flock to your product restaurant if you put a big picture of an avocado in front of it, or mm-hmm. uh, if you if you do some great and hilarious memes hashtag with the word meme just so that everyone knows. Yeah. That was a good detail. I enjoyed the hashtag meme of it. I, I love the fact that uh, on Twitter uh, it was cropped in such a way that all you actually saw of the meme was uh, a nice picture of Jeremy Corbyn looking happy in front of uh, a big crowd of his supporters. Because we were sort of talking, <laughs> we were sort of talking on the last podcast about uh, momentum and the like, you know, the sort of potential for any kind of like youth engagement for Tories, and we were kind of talking about it in hypothetical terms, and I think we sort of concluded that it would be difficult for them and then since then it's kind of happened and then ended pretty much and like exploded within the space of like what two weeks the thing was slightly um hobbled by the fact that a few members of the group seemed to be like pretty violently anti-poor and were having a big old lull about gassing chavs which is never a great look it's not a good start but and then obviously we moved into the whole uh, the division between the five people in Activate as those supporting 
Jacob Rees-Mogg or Theresa May. I mean, it's not as if either of those two candidates have absolutely anything vaguely interesting to say about or for young people. So the very nature of like a sort of youth movement for the Tory party is seemingly completely redundant for a number of reasons. But if you're party leaders aren't even trying to kind of win over young people on any sort of policy level then how the fuck are you going to build like a youth movement of people that might be interested in the Tories mm. so I mean that is a major problem but then when you start you know talking to each other about gassing chavs and then only stopping because it might seem like you're a bit Nazi yeah. uh, slightly is, problematic that is a good place to stop yeah I mean <laughs> at least they realised within the thread that they had some issues with it yeah I feel like the discussion about like how the youth can get involved with momentum is slightly superfluous because if Jacob Rees-Mod is elected as the next leader, there's not going to be a vote of party members. That's not how the Tory system is set up. So The Tory membership never had a chance to vote for their current leader. Right, yeah. Um, and I feel like they probably won't have a chance to vote for the next one because the leader of the Tory party isn't the leader of a mass social movement. They're the uh, designated figureheads of a shadowy cabal of deathless evil. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and like, you know, as, as such, it... It doesn't matter whether the sacrificial victims particularly like them. Yeah, I also thought the the, the kind of weird thing about the um, gassing Chavgate scandal was that it's kind of only a more vulgar version of what Jacob Rees-Mogg actually said. Like, was it a couple of days ago? Obviously, he didn't literally say that, but he said that food banks are a, a good thing mm. and a very heartening <laughs> example of charity. Um, One that we don't and need. Like a, yeah, and if you've got you know if you've got a like politician who's becoming a figurehead saying that. It is not that surprising that the people like just below that are like saying a more like disgusting version. I, I kind of I was hopeful that they would actually get somewhere with it just because it would make at least the next, you know, year and a half or forever more interesting if there was like a shit show conservative version of uh, momentum and that maybe UK politics could get a bit more tribal and we'd have like cool kind of gangs of New York style like the street violence yeah between like Activate and Momentum both pretty crap names I'll be honest but you know we'll get what we're given but that would have They're been nice to see. They're both quite apprentice-ish names aren't they? <laughs> They're like two teams on The Apprentice. Yeah. <laughs> well I mean like especially Activate with the with the square root in their name mm. um, cool what? kids mathematics. Like the, v, the V was like a square root right? Yeah yeah and then hey, it, it was implying that it was actor square root of eight, which is two point something. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? We've got the square root of fuck all now. Like. I don't know. I don't know what I anything know means now. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the world just slipped from my grasp. <laughs> I mean, I feel like really if the Conservatives want to um, engage the youth fate, they should just wait for us all to get a bit richer and buy houses, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I think they should just wait for this current loss of youth to get old because they're honestly probably never going to vote Tory um, and start focusing on like the, you know, like the 11 year olds. They should be sending people to nurseries to teach the children about free enterprise and, you know, stealing things from the other babies. Um, they, they, they should be... Uh, telling children screaming that their screams are correct and should be heard because the you know these children don't want to be ruled by the european superstates they, they should accept that our generation is probably lost because we are we're lost to ourselves we're lost to the world we came of age during the financial crisis and we're just kind of 
we're going to be traumatized our entire life and they should work on turning the next generation into an army of uh, terrifying conservative stormtroopers so it's like the snapchat generation yeah i mean like, like <laughs> i feel toys. like they're going to be like they're going to be um sexless and alienated anyway so like they're perfect tories right <laughs> <laughs> so i'd like to play the most evil of devil's advocate and i don't actually believe that this should happen but it could have been interesting if the Tories were able to like start some sort of youth movement of people that obviously are of our generation and probably a little bit more Remain than Brexit and that might actually help the party move away f from like this sort of suicidal uh, headlong march into Brexit oblivion. They might be able to help sort of neutralize the mental aspects of the Tory party but I mean that is obviously like super wishful thinking but like maybe it could have been influential in a good way if it existed but as we've discussed it never had a chance in the first place I just don't see that getting mass membership though I mean like um, you know like, like, like the Tory Remain campaign was incredibly unpopular mm. and it induced a whole bunch of, of young people to to not vote because they weren't interested in it or excited by it like kind of liberal Remainery isn't, just isn't very attractive to people there is a model for like a kind of mass participation populist right wing movement but I think a lot of the Tories don't want to touch it because it's Trumpism. Make Britain great again. Well, there are people saying that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, which is not quite as horrifying as those ads they have on buses in London that say "Make Mondays Great Again." I feel like that's, it, I feel, that's a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like turning a fascist slogan into an advertising. <laughs> yes, line everywhere. Is, Everything's going to be great again. Yeah. As, as if that's fine. It's like oh, lol, 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 very funny. It's yeah. like no, like <laughs> yeah, like like you you wouldn't. M Mondays are lost to us. We've got no yeah. hope of making that, that again. Yeah, yeah like, like Monday is is intrinsically reactionary. Yeah, <laughs> Garfield was right. <laughs> Over the past few weeks, the world has watched as North Korea waves its inflated testicles around, flinging missiles over Japan. Fortunately, we found just the guy to save us. Nuclear Ron, as no one is calling him, makes bomb shelters. He's based in the US where, surprise, surprise, the nuclear bomb shelter market is booming. Ron Hubbard. I'm the owner of Atlas Survival Shelters. I'm also the engineer here. I designed several of the models of shelters that we made. The bomb NATO, the fall NATO, the backyard bunker, the Atlas. These are all my creations. They're all patented here in the United States. And they're very popular around the world. I would say be looking for a dealer coming to the UK soon because I've had quite a few people apply for dealerships in the United Kingdom that want to sell my products there because there is demand there. Matter of fact, I had somebody call me from there. I don't know who it was, but a very wealthy person from uh, the UK, his representative called me, said they were looking for a shelter. It was six in the morning when the siren sounded and woke millions of people with a warning that a North Korean ballistic missile was flying over their territory. I primarily do them for private civilians, individual homes that want some protection for their family because our country does not provide any civil defense. So it's upon 
each family's household to provide their own shelter in the United States. Most of the shelters I build are pre-manufactured in the factory. They're made out of steel and they bury in the people's backyard. Now, I make several types of shelters. Our company, Atlas Survival Shelters, makes 18 different lines of shelter. There's round ones, square ones, dome ones, monolithic dome ones, hexagon-shaped ones. There's all types of different shelters because they may serve different means. In the United States, we have tornadoes. Therefore, a lot of our shelters are hybrid. That means they'll protect you from fallout as well as tornadoes. So we have one called Bobnado, we have one called Fallnado, we have one called the Backyard Bunker. Because I'm in California, we have earthquakes here. And I've experienced a 6.5 earthquake before. And I can tell you exactly what it sounds like. It's Sounds like a 747 jet coming straight at you that's getting ready to crash into your house. And then it flies over and passes you by. And that's exactly what it would sound like. So if the bomb goes off, say 20 miles away, 10 miles away, depending on the size of the bomb, there would be a shockwave afterwards. And if you made it to your shelter, you would hear the shockwave coming. It would hit your shelter and then pass over. Typically, the shockwave is in the top nine feet or three meters of layer of earth. Therefore, most of the shelters I make go at least 10 feet or more than three meters underground so you can bypass the shockwave so it will pass over you. Uh, also, at this depth, you can control the climate in the shelter. It also will protect you from the highest amounts of radiation, which will only reach down as, as far as 121 inches. So. Technically, you only need three feet of earth or one meter of earth to protect you from the gamma radiation. These action by North Korea is reckless provocation. These are illegal tests and we strongly condemn them. No country should have missiles flying over them like those 130 million people in Japan. It's unacceptable. They have violated every single UN Security Council resolution that we've had. That's the new normal in the United States, but it's not just the new normal here. It's becoming the new normal worldwide. Countries as Australia, the UK, people want shelters there just as much as Canadians. Our Canadian brothers uh, north of us are buying a lot of shelters. Uh, the Japanese are buying hundreds, if not thousands, of shelters right now. It's just a global phenomenon because this is the world we live in now with the threats of ISIS and and you've got Russia with nukes that's imposing its strength on the Baltics. You've got Pakistan and India that are mortal enemies. They both have nuclear powers. You've got Iran in the Middle East, and you've got North Korea. So we're dealing with nuclear threats all over the world. The news today just happens to be North Korea. But after North Korea, we're going to be dealing with Iran. Donald Trump has said no option is off the table. World powers will discuss what else they can possibly do about North Korea. I mean, the guy's basically 
you know, showing propaganda, blowing up the United States. Well, when you got a crazy 33-year-old like that, a uh, narcissist like that, that's showing propaganda, you know, it raises some eyebrows. So those who don't want to take any chances just in case the crazy man got his finger on the button, they want to take out the insurance for their family. And they do that in the form of putting in a, a bomb shelter. No different than during World War II when you Brits, you know, put in air raid shelters, you know, just in case, you know, the air raids came, you got a place to crawl. It makes you feel safe. So you guys went in the subways, you went into the bomb shelters. Well, we feel in our country, in Japan and South Korea as well, that just in case this guy starts to unleash hell on us, that we have a place to protect our family. Otherwise, we're just left out in the cold to fend for ourselves, and it's just not a good feeling. So that was Nuclear Run on the line from America. The press is excited, politicians have their worried faces on, and apparently the rich and paranoid are buying nuclear bomb shelters off our mate Ron. So, Henry, is nuclear hysteria justified? Uh, so, August silly season because all the politicians are on holiday, but also it's when America and South Korea hold annual big military drills. Yeah, so like, like we were having a conversation, you were saying, you were kind of reminding me this happens every year. Yeah, I mean... Which I think is good context. It happens more free, like more frequently than that, as in, like, Kim Jong-un will say something crazy or, like, set off a bomb. Or, but it, this, is the, this is the thing. It's like, he's not crazy. He's, like, a very kind of ruthless, uh, very direct leader who's sending quite strong signals in what he does, eliminates his opponents and, you know, sets, fires off these missiles, sets off these nuclear bomb tests. So one part is that, like, there's a lot of media commenting on how crazy he is, crazy, crazy North Korea, but that's not really the case. The man's not mentally insane. You know, he, he's quite a ruthless, terrifying uh, sort of dictator. These drills happen every year, so there's usually a bit of ramped up rhetoric. In and it's August, like a US, anyway. South Korean. Na- like military exercises, mass military exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we have someone like Trump in power. So previous president obama not particularly interested in intervention in comparison to bush was always fairly uh, apart from drone wars etc but like not interested in super fiery rhetoric now you've got trump who's very unpredictable in what he says and how he acts just look at how uh, the military strikes against syrian airfields earlier in the year caught everyone by surprise um so you've now got both sides prone to kind of very dangerous rhetoric both sides willing to flex a lot of muscle and so usually what happened was that the rhetoric would die down and the tests the nuclear tests or the missile tests would sort of wither away but now we've got this thing where this time kim jong-un has set off the largest nuclear uh, warhead that they've ever built and then in the space of three weeks i think they fired two missiles over the northern islands of japan so that's relatively unprecedented so i think the hysteria is always here this time of year but i think now is probably a good time to maybe invest in a bunker <laughs> i mean that's really the silver lining is that it's good for business right in the, mean, nuclear bunker business, yeah, in the nuclear bunker business but for the being alive business in the <laughs> korean peninsula or japan or guam apparently not so great but like this is the the issue is also that does North Korea have the capability 
of actually getting one of these warheads somewhere. You know, they've they've got we know they've got missile technology, and obviously because they fired one over Japan just yesterday. But is it capable of carrying a very destructive nuclear warhead somewhere? That's very different. The feeling is that maybe they do now, and that's why there's a lot more fear involved. And you've got, you know, Japanese rhetoric is is also uh, ramping up a nation that, for many many decades, has tried to shy away from that sort of stuff. I'm going to move next to a tube station, pretty soon. Nice. I think that not all tubes are completely. Uh nuclear bomb proof though Henry I'm pretty sure that some tube stations aren't like deep enough underground you might want to move somewhere that's got like a really good deep tube station and try and get there before the Tories privatise it and sell it off to um, Chinese oligarchs children over in the UK to study at one of those made up business schools I'm fearful of my life but I don't think I'm that proactive about it so I guess I'll just embrace the apocalypse hang out in Victoria Park instead or something as it comes our way. I think that's quite an admirable attitude. I think buying a private bomb shelter is like a very Tory thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> like if, 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 hey, if the look. apocalypse was coming, like really... Nationalise the shelters. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but also, but also we should shelters. all just embrace, embrace death. Uh, well, I mean, embrace death is like, uh, yeah, that's, what, that's my morning affirmation every day. <laughs> um, I feel like we're not that far away from some sort of reality TV show where contestants have to compete to build the best bomb shelter. Like, yeah. how hard can I think it be? It'll, be? it'll be like a digital only one on BBC Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. How would you D- test I that mean, out, though? Literally, you just have the same title, DIY SOS. <laughs> like, the world is ending, it's coming our way. SOS, help build the best bunker. Yeah, yeah. no, they, they fire the missile. You have to complete the bomb shelter before it lands and annihilates everyone. And this week, Birmingham. Yeah, and then, and then the follow-up reality TV show is like, life inside the bunker mm. right where you throw like a bunch of zany kids down into like a nuclear bunker and then see what happens yeah they yeah. won't get on they've got clashing personalities <laughs> presented by caroline flat in like a lipsy <laughs> one shoulder dress everyone I mean, has scurvy and a couple of people have been murdered already <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel i feel like there's no way that you know capitalism won't turn all of our deaths into a commodity in some way into a kind of entertainment product probably although it might just reprocess our remains yeah <laughs> But Either like, way, I'm glad to be useful. In terms of like sort of Toryish uh, responses to like disasters or terrible things happening, I don't know if anyone saw Richard Branson tweeting about being stuck in his Caribbean island in the wake of the hurricane, <laughs> being like, "Oh, we need we need a coordinated like relief effort for the British Virgin Islands," and then people were just screen grabbing it, being like, "Why don't you pay off fucking taxes?" Mm. And then that'll pay. You for own relief. a fucking airline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, climate change! I've suddenly realised now that it's knocked down my house yeah. is actually a problem. In fairness to old Rich, yes, obviously he lived on a ridiculous private island, but a lot of the tweets he was sending were links to like a donation fund he set up to help people rebuild their homes in the British Virgin Islands that he was contributing to as well but also calling I mean he's not wrong like the UK aid response is pretty rubbish Uh, lots of people on those islands were complaining about how slow it took like British military and police and aid to get there whereas like the French and the Dutch had prepared you know Mm. a few weeks in advance so he's not wrong but I, I did enjoy seeing Richard Branson sort of stand in amongst the, his destroyed home. Uh, but, yeah, he's not wrong in, in terms of, like, the government response was, like... I mean, why are we surprised? Predictably, mm. a fucking shambles. I, I mean, do you see the atrocious article in the Evening Standard about that? About um, 
like the point it made was that um, you know the French and Dutch possessions in the Caribbeans and uh, the Caribbean are often like um, you know integral parts of France and the Netherlands. You know, like um, there are Caribbean islands that are literally part of the Netherlands as a constituent country of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, and then there are others which are part of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. Like they're ruled as if they're any other part of uh, France or the Netherlands. The argument was that the uh, the British. Uh, former colonial subjects uh, they just had to be more independent and they didn't want to stick around and and be you know just as British as if they were in Cornwall and now they're now they're suffering the consequences for having been enslaved which um yeah fuck those guys yeah no, <laughs> no. well I mean look if you're gonna abandon the loving embrace of Britannia then you get a hurricane that's what happens I mean I guess on a more serious note like Natural disasters are going to be more frequent because of climate change. Nuclear war seems like more of a possibility than it did maybe like two years ago. Are we going to see a more like horrible apocalyptic world now? I mean, everything is just going to keep on getting worse, isn't it? Um, and then there'll probably be some new thing that we haven't even discovered yet. Um, like personally, I'm of the opinion that subjecting your food to microwave radiation is probably actually incredibly dangerous for us and if there are any future nah, generations they'll look at it like the romans you know putting their water through lead pipes but like it'll, it'll be something vaping whatever it is like climate change is just going to keep on getting worse and worse and worse because it's getting worse slowly enough that you know like like um like i wrote a, a big essay about climate change quite recently and I was inundated. It didn't even mention hurricanes. But I was uh, inundated by uh, people on Twitter kind of going, uh, here's a table of hurricanes from the 1950s. See, we've always had hurricanes. Um, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse until, like, you know, tens of thousands of people dying every summer from drought. And when Bangladesh finally goes underwater, it's happening slowly enough that we're just going to go, oh, well, that's what happens in places like that. Uh, which is, I think, the most terrifying thing is that uh, the crisis won't even be visible as a crisis. It'll just become ordinary life. Maybe the main takeaway is that you can't really respond to these things by like buying yourself a literal fucking bunker. It's like <laughs> the response has to be communal because you I mean, know, like Richard Branson flood, on his island with his like yeah. massively expensive private house, st I mean, still I'm, getting screwed. Like Mother Nature doesn't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, but he didn't have a bunker. Like, Maybe like, you should have had a bunker. Like, yeah, you can literally just buy a bunker. I'm just of the opinion that when people do, we should break into their bunkers, uh, turf them out and take them over, like in that episode of The Simpsons. First, the Henry VIII clauses. Transferring all of these laws and regulations into UK law is an unenviable task. It would also be impossible... It would also be impossible. So, Brexit is back. Once again, it's eating into parliamentary debate time. It's helping slash viewing figures on Newsnight. It's even driving the agenda on this podcast again. Fuck. Sharon, where do we even start with this shit show? Yeah, so, I mean, everyone's back from, from their summer holidays and um, the EU has uh, fired off quite a sort of uh, fiercely worded breakup text message to That's our salty, government. Right? Saying, um, saying, you're going to regret this, which is um, definitely not something I've ever texted someone at 3 a.m. after a couple, <laughs> couple too many Lambrinis. Um, Look, Theresa May is going to be speaking in Florence uh, next week, um, and then MPs are going to be debating legislation um, in Parliament around Brexit. Mm -hmm. um, what's becoming really, really obvious is that no one has a fucking clue what's going on. 
Um, I don't know why that's taken us all so long to figure out because actually when Theresa May said Brexit means Brexit, that didn't really make any sense either. Mm. So I think that's actually been a pretty consistent theme throughout. But what I guess it's like the longer it goes on, the more the more that is still the case, yeah. the more scary it is. We're in this weird feedback cycle where like ministers keep looking to the newspapers to tell them what to do and newspapers keep looking to ministers to tell them what to do and ministers also contradicting each other like left right and centre which is getting really embarrassing so Mm. Boris Johnson said that there's no backup plan in case we don't agree to a deal with the EU but then Theresa May and David Davies have both said that they're willing to walk away without a deal so no one has a fucking clue what's going on and it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Henry's like Henry's shaking his really head at frustration. Yeah. Get behind Brexit, guys. <laughs> Get behind it. Um, Wash your clothes in the river, go to holiday in Cornwall, suck it up. <laughs> you know, it's, it is kind of embarrassing, really, like watching all these people like flounder. Um, I don't agree with Brexit. I think Brexit's a terrible idea, but... It's the ineptitude that's on display here that's annoying me a little bit more. Everyone needs to get their party line sorted. Ministers need to stop contradicting each other. And people need to start answering some fucking questions. Mm. Um, I don't know if you listened to Ian Dunn interviewing um, Dan Hannon on LBC the oh other day. God, I missed that, I missed that treat. Like... <laughs> oh, yeah, it was... Horror. The Red Wedding. <laughs> it was thrilling. I would die. <laughs> it was thrilling. But what really emerged from that is that uh, Dan Hannon won't answer a question because no one has a clue what's going on. But, I mean, like, Brexit is like we as a country have all kind of collectively decided to jump off a bridge uh, and now we're desperately trying to negotiate with the ground on our way down <laughs> uh, um, but we're also uncertain as to whether we're like holding hands and jumping yeah, off or yeah. are we going to do like like, 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 there's, like there's a small parachute faction but they're mostly being ignored <laughs> like, um, are we going to do like one of those Instagram shots or we all jump up in the air at the same time like, swan how? dive or bomb <laughs> Yeah, that's basically what's happening right yeah. now um, I mean, I think the current plan uh, is unstated, but the current plan is for, you know... Yeah, I think we'll all hold hands, but we'll arrange it so that the poor people hit the ground first um, mm. and maybe cushion the the, the but, nice Tory MPs who... But, newspaper owners who did all this. But also, like, the most sort of uh, rampant pro-Brexiteers are the ones being like, I want to hit the ground first, I want to mm. hit the ground first. Mm. <laughs> On the James O'Brien show, this guy called in and uh, he was like, we should all take holidays in the UK. And then he was like, "No, yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> no, bad fuck here. You. It's good in other countries. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Have you been to Italy? It's great. <laughs> the, the food is fantastic. What? No, I uh, Sam, have you ever heard of Pizza Express? Come on, that's Italy, man. <laughs> that's true. It's a, it's a little piece of Italy on the high street. We don't need Europe, man. My conclusion. No, we, we don't need it, but I'd really quite like it. Yeah. Um, no, but this guy calling no, that's very unpatriotic. Get behind the UK. <laughs> Come on. I mean, like, like the thing is, it is possible to exist outside of the EU. You know, like, like there are countries which aren't in it and do fine. Um, it's just that those countries have, you know, industries and social fabric and um, much smaller populations. Yeah, and 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 like they, that they are. They, they are economies that produce something other than advertising slogans and city cunts. Uh, we don't have that. So, um, you know, I think that Britain could prosper outside of the EU uh, as an autonomous socialist republic. Mm-hmm. 
but not in our current configuration. Doesn't feel like it's going that way. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, like, the current negotiations, like, it's, it's been, like, well over six months now since we triggered Article 50, right? Yeah. I think. I have no idea. I, I don't know what <laughs> no, happened. I, I said Ta- I time know. is meaningless. <laughs> I'm, I'm lost. But, um, like, it feels like in all of that time, like, there's been one of two things that have happened. We've, like, been negotiating about negotiations. We've been arguing about what's on the agenda. Um, mm-hmm. Or if we're not doing that, we're, like, trading insults about how awful it's going to be in, uh, you know, once a ticking time bomb goes off. Um, and the Europeans say that, you know, we're going to be eating grass, and then we go, nah um, and it's all incredibly mature. Well, we like grass anyway, you <laughs> uh, idiots. Uh, did you know wheat is a type of grass? <laughs> uh, also, it's getting, like... I guess one of the it's sort of like nothing that much is like really happening because no progress but mm. I mean the sort of, quite a lot is happening economically which is that we're like sliding down the shitter yeah I mean yeah that's what I mean it's like all happening around it right like interest rates went up yesterday yeah Toblerones <laughs> keep getting smaller Toblerones Freddo the Fods are also getting really expensive and really how small how much like I think they're at 30p now Anyway, what, what's, <laughs> happening, what's happening is that we're sliding into another recession and things are really, really bad. And while all of our like politicians don't have a fucking clue what they're doing, the reality is that like the cost of living is getting crazy high. Inflation is like out of control and mm. things are about to get really, really bad for a lot of people. And a lot of jobs are being moved out of the UK as well. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like politicians are kind of refusing to talk about anything too specific. But they are trying to set up trade deals elsewhere, such as massive trading power in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. It's like it's like when you have a pet and it does a shit and it brings it to you and you're meant to look at it and be like, well done, you know? <laughs> like, do we really... I mean, New Zealand is a great country and I'm sure it's an important trading partner, but, you know, all these treasury ministers touting the benefits of a possible trading alliance with New Zealand. It's on the other side of the world. I think we should be looking a little bit... It's got good lamb and apples. Delicious lamb. Uh, delicious lamb and great film scenery. But I think maybe we should be looking you know, at global superpowers like China, say. Um, mm-hmm. I think that might be a better, better use of our time than making important trade alliances with the country that is furthest away from us on this planet. What's, uh, what's the status of chatting to the Chinese and anyone with a natural economy? As far as I can tell, nothing's really been forthcoming. Um, there was meant to be um, uh, some sort of preliminary discussion made with Japan, but that kind of got scuppered by um, the looming nuclear war that threatens the entire civilization. I mean, I feel like the thing is a lot of these trade agreements are not even necessarily good things. I mean, like, uh, you know, as long as Donald Trump's in office, um, you know, we could probably has run out of free trade agreement pretty quickly with the United States because, you know, he wants, he sees Brexit as like a, uh, an emblem of the new global reactionary nationalism, which uh, he's at the prow of. Um, but so they're like, right behind us, aren't they? Yeah, but like a free trade agreement with the United States is not always a great thing um, because, I mean, like it means that we'd have to, you know, like there's a coronated chicken, right? We'd have to change our safety standards so that they could so that we can freely trade with them. And, uh, you know, a lot of stuff in America will poison and kill you. Um, yeah, I don't want to eat coronated chicken. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to eat their... You know, well, it used to be that they were afraid to eat our meat, but uh, and I mean that in the most grotesque possible sense. <laughs> <laughs> Like, America is arsenic in its drinking water and hormones in its chicken. Um, and also, you know, like, the uh, possible, con- you know, the 
monstrous conglomeration of British and American capital to rule over the defeated peoples of the world is not, to me, a wonderful uh, <laughs> result of Brexit. I, I, I feel like uh, that should honestly be avoided if at all possible. I mean, meanwhile, you can't really criticise it in the eyes of certain people like uh, fucking Tim Montgomery, Four Times columnist, now editor of excellent website The Unheard. Do you know how much I pay people, though? Yeah, a, a pound a word. Well, I mean, I, I saw I that uh, Ruth <laughs> Davidson, three grand, three grand for, yeah. for, you know, the notoriously unheard figure, the leader of the Scottish Conservative Party. She got three grand. She got three it. grand. Oh, no, sorry, and I'm pretty sure that the thing she wrote was not 3,000 words long. And I think it was, I think it was actually two pounds a word. I think it was yeah, 15 yeah. words. I, I mean, I actually wrote them an email. Uh, I, I, I genuinely wrote an email saying, um, I hear you pay 3,000 pounds for, uh, you know, people on the fringes of the discourse like Helen Lewis um, I'm a better writer than her give the money to me instead do they respond? I mean, not yet Actually, I'm I'll sure they will my email. as a proud member of the NUJ I support this feminist <laughs> website and it's fair rates for journalists <laughs> but um, yeah Tim Montgomery like kind of saying it's unpatriotic he was tweeting about Radio 4 being like another program on Radio 4 saying the economy is going to be balked after Brexit. Like it's it's starting to get a bit un- unpatriotic now and it's like Oh yeah, yeah. You can't I just like that. critique you can't you can't just critique yeah, about, things and like, be like um, oh maybe they'll banks be bad. going to Paris and Frankfurt, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And it's like uh, you can't like just like critique things and say oh things might be shit now like as a journalist which is obviously your fucking job without being like unpatriotic quite unquote according I think, to I mean I I'm so dumb that I thought that he was like doing a little ironic thing where he was going I don't think uh, that man has much sense yeah i know but i I, well i mean otherwise you wouldn't have referred to the unmissable cow right Um, like i I thought he was doing a kind of uh, um oh all of these jobs are going to paris and uh frankfurt i feel like brexit might actually not be the incredibly patriotic movement i thought it was because it's no no yeah yeah he has no irony yeah can't we just get old people to pay for brexit like can't we just get rid of the state pension for everyone who voted (laughs) for brexit seriously and then when they starve to death, they'll they'll do so knowing that they have full sovereignty. Yeah, um, and that will keep that that thought will keep them warm. Hey, look, that's more I, of an idea than the politicians we have representing our negotiations have. So mm. I say we may as well just tweet that at David Davis. See what he thinks. <laughs> we should like a uh, focus group that policy. And let's do a white paper. I've, I've always wanted to write a white paper. Why can't the Queen pay for it? She's she's, she's, she's clearly Brexity. Yeah, or like um. Any of the millionaire dickheads who... Yeah. No, like, no, no. But I mean, like, why don't we just sell the Queen to Europe in return <laughs> for, like, like, they can have her, her big hat. Maybe share, shares in the Queen. I don't know if I want to sell the Queen entirely. Well, like, 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 you know what? She could spend a month in every EU member state <laughs> just being like, you know, oh, you get a turn on the Queen now. Um, <laughs> some of them have their own Queens, but, you know, like... They're not as good, like, yeah, like, yeah, like British like, monarchy, like best monarchy in the world. Well, like, like you know, <laughs> like Queen Beatrix. Queen Beatrix, yeah, exactly. Like she's a queen. She's queen. not the queen. <laughs> queen Rania is quite cool though. She's really hot. Yeah, but she's not. Uh, that? Queen <laughs> <Rania is> really, <laughs> she, she's she's Fuck a worker. Um, <laughs> like you don't know. <laughs> um, so Theresa May's got this uh, speech in Florence next week that's been trailed as like massively important and a huge deal. Um, do we have any sort of uh, Steer on what's going to happen. Is it going to be interesting? Is it going to be another load of hot air? Well, no, no, we don't know. It's, it's been trailed. Yeah, it's There's been, been a lot of like discussion about whether it's going to be um, whether we're going to leave the single market in exchange for freedom of movement being taken away for EU nationals. So that's economic suicide 
in order that we get to hate on immigrants more. Yeah, so that we have less Polish people. And shitter economy. And shitter lives. Good. Yeah. I think good. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Whatever the context and content of the fucking speech is quite, to me at least, completely irrelevant. Send that in an email. Like, it's, it's made sure that there's been, like, another, <laughs> another week delay in the negotiations. Like, they push back the negotiations to the end of the month so that they can have this speech. It's like, why do we have to have this pomp and ceremony? Like, we're, we're clearly completely desperate in terms of our stance in the negotiations. Like, it's such a, a total shit show. Yeah. Like, we cannot afford, like, a fucking hour's delay, quite frankly. Not that I expect anyone involved in negotiations on our side to actually come to any sort of agreement with the EU on pretty much anything because so far they've not got anywhere in, well, yeah, six months, right? So I don't expect results, but I, I just, it's like, I don't care because what she's going to say could be really easily said in maybe even a tweet <laughs> if she has any followers. So maybe I, I, people I, I would read it. But. I feel like she's not really going to say anything very substantive because, like, the general form of her speeches are generally, you know, kind of uh, along the lines of, there are certain people who don't believe in our country and like to spit on our flag and piss on pictures of the Queen and secrete various other disgusting bodily fluids on <laughs> beloved national treasures. And we say to them, stop that. Um, and like that's believe in Brexit. Yeah, that's most of what she says. She's she's not really an ideas person. She's more of a kind of deep-seated resentment person. <laughs> uh, and I feel like letting her talk for a while isn't going to change And that. also the delivery is so bad that the people at the speech probably won't listen. The journalists will stop bothering to like make notes. So we might not actually hear what she has to say anyway. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe the gloves will be kind of off because Yinka took the gloves off being like, you're going to regret this. So maybe it'll be like a kind of fuck you. But like her fuck back. you is to be like, well, we'll leave then. Yeah, and yeah. we'll destroy ourselves. See how you like it. I mean, the thing is that, like, Europe in general is in long-term decline. I mean, like, you know, within, like, the next century, if there is a next century, the, uh, like, like the, the global economic role of Europe is going to be furnishing um, a few luxury goods to China, Brazil, and India. Um, mm. You can't really sustain a population of, uh, you know, hundreds of millions on uh, you know Italian leather belts and British tailoring uh, we've um, got fidget spinners now we, we, thank you very much I, I'm fairly certain fidget spinners were invented in China but I don't know that but I think they were <laughs> we'll build our own British fidget spinner <laughs> we'll, we'll invent a fidget spinner made out of Yorkshire pudding uh, <laughs> and as it spins the gravy just spirals everywhere oh, that would not be ever <laughs> <laughs> you could use it would be like a spirograph you could use it to make art <laughs> What would we explore? I feel like we've got nothing. Um, bigotry. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> we've done a really football. good job of that over the years. Football, yes. But yeah. really sanitised, boring football. Mm -hmm. like, like certain brands and uh, our housing sector. Um, you know, you can come and live in Britain. There won't be a revolution here. The pros are being kept down very effectively. It's safe. That's about it. I guess we'll see what happens after that. Like, there's, we just so in the dark about the whole thing. And I kind of feel that, like, ministers and anyone involved would prefer to keep it that way because the results from any of these negotiations, just seemingly so far, there haven't really been any. So the ones that we might get are obviously going to be negative. So, like, the less we know, obviously, the better. But that doesn't really help the situation everyone's still really anxious and frustrated 
making more people ask the question, what was the point? Which, you know, plenty of Remainers probably already aware of, of that being a thing. But like, the longer they wait, the longer they don't tell anyone anything, more Brexiteers might start asking that question, which is exactly not what the government wants either. Mm. So maybe they just don't want to talk about it at all, and that would be for the best. Maybe this can be like, you know, like when you like debt junk and you text someone and then the next day you just pretend that it like never happened. Like maybe we can literally just pretend that this like never happened. <laughs> you know, it would just be like one of those things like when you get John be throw up and then the next day everyone's like, oh, that's no, fine. You weren't that embarrassing. I'm a massive advocate of that. This is all just stop talking about Brexit and maybe it will go away. Thanks, Henry, Sam and Sharon. You're the most radioactive we've ever had. The British Dream was produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. We'll be back in a month. Stay positive. <laughs>